Execute Order 66 Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com This is the Order 66 Podcast Brought to you by mapsofmastery.com Yes, indeed, we're back. Episode number 119 of the Order 66 podcast, also brought to you by the continuing partnership of guys like Brandon Lagasse, Christopher Bumbreski, and William Fisher. Thank you, gentlemen. This episode's for you guys. I'm GM Dave, and I will be uh, helping uh, navigate through the insanity that is the Order 66 podcast. And with me, as always, uh, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and uh, insanity is the appropriate word for this this little uh, audio extravaganza known as the Order 66 podcast. Ooh. And for those who may be tuning in for the first time, uh, this is the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing, so welcome. Ah, uh, yes, and this is a Saturday night, an odd time for us to be recording. Yeah, I know. If you think people with lives wouldn't be able to do this on Saturday night, but oh well. Yeah, you figure. So, those of you in the chat room, thank you for showing up. (laughs) 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 The the audience is uh, appreciably small. (laughs) Only 17 people. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is Saturday night. It is Saturday night, the 16th of October. And, uh, hey man, we've got a good show lined up as we talk Jedi. Kind of. Not really. Just kind of. As it relates to Jedi. And stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, some word that I can't pronounce. Eh. Speaking of stuff. Oh. Maybe we have some stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah, you know, we have a featured podcast this week, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, issue number 33 of the Roll for Initiative podcast went up this week. Magic user. Mm. So, if you're a fan of first edition AD&D or have never played and uh, would like a window into that game, history's past, RFI is right up your alley. So, this episode, cue music, stop, now, please. Okay, bye. There it goes, see? I need to redo that intro because it just dies. It doesn't fade. It's not, it's not hard to make it fade. Just get it to fade. Fade. I know. Fade. 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 Anyway, uh, during this episode, the guys uh, are going to talk about the, the role of a, of a magic user in the party. And they're going to take a look at a peculiar magic item with a southpaw flair for me. <laughs> and uh, take the time to answer a question from a certain host of the Order 66 podcast. I wonder who that Yay! might be. Uh-huh. Uh. And we get to hear part two of the ongoing audio drama, The Lumpers. That's so cool. This is a really cool little fan-created radio drama that's a cross between Sam Spade and D&D. It's awesome. Yeah. You'll hear all this and a whole lot more this week for Roll for Initiative, so you check it out at d20radio.com along with a whole bunch of other podcasts that are also available there. And are all awesome. 
Awesome. Awesome. Heck yeah. Well, we got some juicy bits of web goodness this week. Uh, in this week's Juicy Bits of Web Goodness, we're featuring the latest entry from Star Wars Wednesdays by noted Star Wars RPG and minis author, friend of the show, and simply amazing chap, Mr. Sterling Hershey. Amazing chap. Yes. This week, Sterling commemorates his 200th blog post on his Star Wars blog, Delusions of Grandeur, which he's been running for over five years now. Um, Sterling reminisces on over five years of Star Wars blogging, highlighting some of the cooler moments and write-ups. And you can read about it all right now at www.sterlinghershey.com. Dot com. Uh, and, of course, the D20 Radio Partner Program. Mm. Yes. For six bucks and change a month, you get PDFs of Chris West's map tiles. That will fit together in this giant map when we're all done, as we send you one a month. Or if you sign up in October, you get nine. Mmm, yes. I'm already getting November's ready to go. Of course, we have two weeks till November, but still. We do, but he, he got them to us today. That's right, we got them today. And they're, they're, and they're so awesome. And there's two, really cool. yes? Yeah, there are two. So he's actually, you're not just going to get one in November, partners. You're going to get two That's right. variants of the same tile. That's right. So don't don't think that this is going to happen every single month, but you know, hey, the man just over delivers. That's that it's tends to fantastic. be the, um, the the modus operandi over at Maps of That's Mastery. Right. That's right. They uh, they they over deliver and uh, make us all happy. They give us happiness in the cockles of our very heart. happy time. Yep. So you get variants on the map tiles, and uh, Sterling Hershey also has a stat block for vehicles that are on this uh, on these map tiles, and. It'll be set out uh, as a PDF exclusively to the D20 Radio Partners. I named a few of them off the top of the show, and we appreciate it, as always. Mm-hmm. Now, now, how can you become a D20 Radio Partner if you're interested? If you so desire, pop on the D20Radio.com. On the homepage, you'll see, come to the dark side, we have cookies. Which really is just, hey, be a partner of the show. And in case you're like behind and you're like listening to these things... If you drop me an email as you're listening to this in, say, uh, December of 2012 and say, hey, Dave, you know, I didn't sign up in October of 20, uh, 2010, so can I get the extra map tiles? Just send me a note. Say, hey, I just heard episode 119, and I'll say, okay, here's all your extras that you didn't get. How about that? Because you're a nice guy, too. Yeah, I'm a pimp like that. Oh, yes, you are. Super pimp. Yes, the overgiver. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's pretty good there, Jake Bacon. Indeed. So we pulled this surprise attack on Saturday, and I bet, uh, you know, we we caught, uh, we almost caught fragments from the rim with their pants down, and apparently we did catch Luke Lowbrow. He's a busy dude anyway. He is. So uh, just. He's uh, a very busy dude. We didn't get, we did not get Luke Lobra this week, uh, but we will hear from uh, GM Phil here in just a little bit. Darth GM, that guy, yeah. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. (laughs) 
This just in from the chat room. Ustream sucks. Hey, this just in from GM Chris. You played the wrong uh, uh, liner for the Docking Bay, dude. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> that kind of should have been played before our announcements. Why did I do that? Oh, yeah, I, I don't did. Know. Okay, so everyone just rewind your brain, and we just did all the announcements, so. Yeah. See, well, no, I, I did that on purpose because I knew I'd missed the I missed the drop, and I wanted to put this this late breaking announcement in that UStream sucks. Oh. According to the chat room, anyway, because um, we started the show. Apparently, none of them had video, and then one of them said, well, "Is there no video tonight?" And then right when that popped in, like the video popped in for whoever that was that said that, but then like nine of them lost the audio and had to reload the pay. So I mean, you know. It is what it is. Is it, it a is. saber? It is, is it a saber? All right, now we'll step into the docking bay. Day 20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Blame it on 80. She is taking the blame in the chat room. She said it was her fault. Coming all the way from Scotland. Scotland. How did your lads do today? Did they play? I don't know. I don't know either. Liverpool's been sucking it up, so I haven't been all that really interested. I'm still just, just like pissed off over the uh, Rangers loss yesterday. So. Oh, but hey, that's Darren Oliver for you, <sighs> man. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. But we are here in the D20 Docking Bay, where we, of course, answer questions ah, yes. sent in by you. And how the do game. they send them in, pray tell? Well, there's many ways they can do this. They can, of course, uh, email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. They can get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums, post up your mind, get your questions and your voice heard. Maybe you'll get on the podcast. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can, of course... Send us a voicemail. Call us at the Lucibot. Area code 206 or L-U-S-A. Lusa. Lusa. You know, Dark GM, it's funny you say that the Boston Red Sox just bought Liverpool. You have no idea the hell that Liverpool is going through now because they're owned by Tom Hicks. Tom Hicks being the owner of the Texas Rangers who well, could not win a playoff series ever in the history of history until he sold the team to Nolan Ryan, and now we finally won a playoff series. How about that? I don't think not it's... saying. I'm just saying. I don't think it's a coincidence. I, yeah, not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know how I am with coincidence. Don't believe in him. Anyway, first email from Grant. Dr. Grant. Mm, dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> says, hey, guys. Awesome podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So anyway... He actually says that. So anyway, I'm about to start GMing SWSE, or Star Wars Saga Edition, for those of you that don't know what that means. And I'm slightly confused. In the GMing section of the core rulebook, it says that for multiple enemy encounters, you should total up the CLs and divide by three. Is this the one that we got by like PM or by email last week? It came by email this week. Okay, that's what it was. And oh, I said that. Duh. Does this hold true for single Enemy encounters. So if I throw a CL-12 Sith Lord at a party, will they be massacred or just challenged? <laughs> uh, if I... 
throw a CL4 bounty hunter at them, will they slaughter it? Hoping for an answer, Dr. Grant. Good question. Um, well, first of all, Grant, glad you're enjoying the cast. And congrats on your upcoming game. He's GMing for the first time. Welcome to the insanity, sir. Uh, by the way, I, 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 Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. I think his straight jacket and uh, Saga Addict badge are in the mail, if that's They correct. are in the, ma- in, in the mail, as well as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Don't Panic button. Beautiful. Now, as to your question, Grant, uh, for those following along at home, Grant is referring to page 247 of the Core Rulebook in the Measuring Encounter Difficulty section. The advice therein on combining different CLs advises the GM to determine the ultimate difficulty of an encounter with multiple threats of different CLs by adding all the CLs up, then just dividing by three. If that result is within one level of the hero's average party level, it's a fair but tough challenge. If it's within two or three levels of the APL, expect a very difficult taxing encounter. If the result is four or more levels above the average party level, it's going to be tough. Brace for some hero deaths here. Yes. Now, as to your question, sir, as is called out in the text, this formula should only be used when you have multiple threats in an encounter, not a single bad guy. No. It's just a rule of thumb formula. Really, key, rule of thumb, to help you out when you have multiple threats of different CLs. Okay, also, it is important to note that this calculation is based on the assumption of four heroes in the party. For each additional hero, you've got to subtract one from the result. For each missing hero, you need to add one to the result. And understand, this doesn't affect the XP earned. Okay, that's still based on the actual threats defeated. It's just a tool to help, keyword, help you decide if a mix of threats might be too much for the party or too easy. And that's yep. all. Yep. Yeah, so good luck there. That's all. You know, but I mean, for, for a single threat, it can be kind of tough to decide. I mean, sheesh. I remember you throwing a CL8 BBEG at us when we were, when we were level three, and we killed him, much to your surprise. You were level two. And, uh, and you, yeah, you guys were, with Destiny points in the mix, you guys whipped the crap out of her. And, you know, yeah, so it, it <laughs> now granted there were six players in the party, but, but all the same, you know, it, it, it depends, uh, you know, single threats are tough. You gotta, it, it, it can be easy to over and underestimate those sometimes. So, yep. yep. There you go. It's true. Next, Pierced Geek. He posts a good question about starship combat, and this came from the forums. He says at starship scale... Can a ship move through an enemy ship's square? Question mark. I know the answer seems pretty obvious. In fact, under the starship scale heading on page 165 of the core rulebook, it says flat out at starship scale, a vehicle can pass through squares occupied by allies, but not occupied by enemies. However, page 171 in the attack of opportunity section under the dogfight heading states, if an enemy starfighter tries to move through your square or an adjacent square, you may attempt to initiate a dogfight as an attack of opportunity. Further, also on page 171, under the Move Actions heading, it reads, This only, the only restriction for vehicle movement is that you cannot re-enter a square that you just left. So these rules seem to be in contradiction. Has there been any clarification on this? There's nothing in the errata. Personally, I don't see why a starship wouldn't be able to move through an enemy-occupied square so long as they don't end their movement there. Starship scale is supposed to be simulating three-dimensional movements, and starship scale squares are both massive and abstract. 
Maybe it would make good game sense for only starfighters and ships with combat thrusters to be able to move through an enemy square, considering they are, from a fluff perspective, small and highly maneuverable. And from a rule standpoint, the only space-worthy vehicles capable of engaging in a dogfight. Hmm. So that's a pretty well-thought-out question. That really is. Um, and you are correct, uh, Pierce. <laughs> I'm going to call you Pierce. Um, there are some conflicting statements in the core rulebook, and there really hasn't been much clarification on the matter. The rules seem to say that you can't move through enemy squares, but then they account for times when you do move through enemy squares. Uh, there, there's been no errata on it and no obvious clarification. So uh, I'm going to tell you what I think and what I recommend in just my experience. And I'd like to get your, your chime in too, Dave, because this is a, a good question. Um, I agree with his suggestion, simply. I mean, to simplify matters, I think all we have to say is any ship capable of engaging in a dogfight may pass through an enemy ship's space. They just can't end their turn there. Uh, this means that small ships can do it easily, as can colossal ships with combat thrusters. And, Dave, I know you're not starship savvy, but the combat thrusters are those modifications you can, like... So, like, uh, starfighters, they, they max out at... Um, at, at, at huge. That's, a, that's as big as they can get, okay? Yep. Above that is Colossal, which is like the size of the Millennium Falcon. And per the rules, Colossal ships can't engage in, start, uh, in uh, dogfights. However, there is a modification you can add called Combat Thrusters, which basically you can only put it on a Colossal ship, and it treats the Colossal ship as one size smaller for certain purposes, allowing it to enter in dogfights and making capital ships have a tough time targeting them. So basically the Millennium Falcon, you know, which can, despite its size, can still is, is fast and maneuverable enough to dogfight with the best starfighters. You know what I mean? Um, this makes sense to me, this ruling. Um, the conflicting rulings in the book, they're confusing. So, I don't know, that's how I'd run it. So, to summarize, any ship may pass through the squares of an allied ship without penalty. And ships capable of engaging in dogfights may pass through the space of enemy ships, though doing so provokes a dogfight attempt normally, yep. if, the, if the enemy ship is incapable of engaging in a dogfight. Uh, folks often forget there is an attack of opportunity in space combat, only instead of a free attack, the attacker has the chance to initiate a free dogfight attempt. Um, you know, make this the same for ships passing through your space, and presto. Very simple, very kiss. Hey, Rocky! What do you think, man? I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm good with it because, you know, theoretically, on the ground, you know. Well, on the ground, you can't do it without, you know, like, an acrobatics check. Right, you have an acrobatics check. So what you have here, in place of the acrobatics check, is basically an attack of opportunity for a grapple. Yeah. Or, you know. In essence, space grapple, which yeah. is dogfighting, more or less. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just... You know, the starship scale squares are so large and abstract. This, this just, this makes sense for me. So, me too. That's how I run it. So there. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> Do you concur? I concur. I concur. All right. So, no, I'm not going to pull a rabbit out of my hat. <laughs> Rocky. All right. So, big dumb Gamorian makes the show for the second week in a row. He is on a hitting streak. Mm -hmm. In fact, he hit us up with another good question on the forum based uh, on ability checks. He writes, oh, brain freeze. <laughs> ability check. That? Holy crap. No, it's me. I, uh, I'm having my, uh, I have like a little slushy from Sonic and uh, uh. I can't get too fast. 
So uh, he writes, ability check. What's up with these? In his best Seinfeld. What's up with ability checks, he says. Huh. First of all, it doesn't say anything about adding half your heroic level like you do with skill checks. Do you really just roll the modifier plus 1d20? Because it seems like the roll is almost completely luck since your modifier is so low, even at high levels. Like if... Oh, now he goes Valley Girls. Like if two characters are making an opposed strength check and one is level 1 and has 10 strength and the other is level 20 and has 20 strength. The 20 strength character is only rolling at a plus 5 compared to the first guy. This seems a bit ridiculous. Or if the check is against a set DC, is there a separate set of difficulties for ability checks that recognizes that they're lower? Oh, all these questions. I suppose the skills are so broad that almost any action could fall under a skill, and straight-up ability checks don't come into play too much, except for brute strength checks, maybe. I had some crazy idea that maybe you rolled and added your ability score itself, not the modifier, plus 1d20, and use that result. This isn't what this says in the book, but actually seems to be a decent house rule the more I think about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, I don't like them either. But how else are you going to do just a raw strength check? I mean, most everything else is accounted for. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Thanks for the question, Gaborian, by the way. Uh, Yeah, man, ability checks are kind of a bit of an anachronism in the system. And you are correct. I mean, per the rules is written, raw, they are simply a d20 plus the ability modifier. There's no half-level added in. And yes... This means that high-level characters have ability checks similar to low-level characters. Um, but, you know, you'll notice, Dave, as you point out, what? What, pure ability checks, they're pretty rare in the system if they're there at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, they really, yeah, they really are. I mean, and for just this reason. I mean, the, the most common way they were abused early on was with the, the, the power force thrust, which was a, a use the force check versus a strength check. And it quickly became this instant I win button against high-level threats. Uh, so the power itself was actually errated to be use the force versus strength plus base attack bonus. Um, this is also the reason the designers and we in prior episodes have shied away from using ability checks in skill challenges. Because, again, they don't change per your level. doesn't make sense. Mm. As for your house rule of using the ability score added to the d20, I would not recommend that. Um, why? Because a character with a strength of 10 making a strength check would average 20, and that's insane, okay? <laughs> yeah. A basic strength check would outperform a specialized strength-based skill check, like climb or jump. I mean, you know, if, if I've got a strength of 10, and I've trained in climb, at first level, I'll be averaging a 15 on my climb check. If uh, I make a strength check using that proposed house rule, I'd be averaging a 20. That makes no sense. Zero. Um, zero. So if you would like to use ability checks more and you want to make them a bigger part of the game, I would just house rule it to treat them like skill checks. Add half your heroic level to the check, just like a skill check. If you're going to do any type of house rule, that's what I would recommend. So there. Uh Our last question tonight comes from Drake, 1977. I wonder if he was born in 1977. Quite possibly. Maybe he got married in 1977. Maybe he graduated from Drake in 1977. Perhaps. Oh, wait. Okay. Let me go. All right. He posted this uh, question on the uh, on the forums. Uh, this is about ion damage and asks, If a PC were to throw an ion grenade at an enemy Jedi or Sith, would the grenade cause the target's lightsaber 
to malfunction. And this kicked off quite the storm of controversy on the threads. It did. Um, it's a good question. And think about this, Dave. I mean, what? A grenade's an area effect, right? Right. I mean, you're not targeting an individual. You're targeting an area. And the lightsaber or a blaster pistol or a jetpack or any other piece of equipment is in the area. So wouldn't it be affected? Uh, you know, that's the crux of the question. Right. Um, but, I mean, I mean I, do, you, do you normally attack attended objects? Uh, that, 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 is the, that is the question. Well, but that's the thing. You're not directly attacking the object. You're not directly attacking a character. You're just attacking the area. Right. So, it, I, yeah, exactly, right? Um, now, ion grenades obviously affect technology specifically, but this question actually applies to any grenade or area effect, including autofire. Okay. I think it's cool to think that it works this way because it makes a realistic sense. You know, if I hurl a grenade at you and it explodes in real life, it's not like it's going to damage you and leave your clothes and your items untarnished, right? No. Yeah, it will. Sure will. Um, Except for the holes and burn marks. Uh, Yeah, exactly. But this isn't real life. It's a role-playing game. (laughs) Really? And while it might not make uh, sense in the scientific term, uh, in the Saga RPG, no, it does not work this way. And frankly, it shouldn't work this way. Rodney Thompson, the man himself, clarified on our very podcast that it doesn't work that way. I understand that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but the ruling was strictly one of game balance. It's a very important ruling. The ruling was that grenades and other area attacks don't damage attended objects. In other words, objects that are on your person, objects that are held. If they did, then any gear or items being worn by your targets would be decimated. Okay? It would also mean that a 250-credit restricted item, an ion grenade, could take out an entire squad's weaponry. And that's rather imbalanced in game turns, wouldn't you say? Uh, Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if it worked that way, every fighter in the galaxy would just carry a bandolier of ion grenades to render their enemy's weapons useless in the first round of a fight. It would make the game less fun for most people, bottom line. Ugh. If memory serves, Dave, I think I think Rodney's in-game justification was that targets would like reactively turn to protect their gear in just such a circumstance. You know, whatever, justify it how you need to. But but bottom line, it's a game balance issue. And darn it, it's also a simplicity issue, Drake. Remember, one of the primary tenets of Saga is kiss. Cures. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid. What? What? Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Think about the bookkeeping nightmare that would result from suddenly having to have the GM track hit points and condition track movement for every single <laughs> weapon and piece of gear worn or held by all of your enemies. It's just silly. I can't imagine anyone would find that fun. So that was why Rodney ruled the way he did. And frankly, I agree with his ruling for the same reasons. Sterling in the chat room says that sabers are ion shielded. Sure. Any, any justification works. Any justification works. Yeah, sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutamente. Absolutamente. That's what I said. Here's what I say. Hey, welcome to Wattles. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement. And I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh... 
Indeed. I hear your dog braying in the background. Yeah. The neighbor, like, shows up at about 9 o'clock every night. And he's towing this freaking trailer. And they spend, like, 15, 20, 30 minutes jacking around trying to get the damn thing in the driveway. And Marley, for some reason, just hates that. And he will run along the fence line for 20 minutes just, you know, he's a freaking beagle, right? So he doesn't bark. He half howls. (laughs) Aw, poor Marley. Sweet dog. Yeah, he's a spastic little creature, but... um, But he's sweet. Yeah, he is. He's very, very loving. Yeah, he just wants to to sit by you and lick your face. That's (laughs) the... uh, yeah, no, this is not the same guy that backed into our fence. That's a good. That's a very good question. But no. <laughs> yes. So um, anyway, um, we uh, we got a chance to go to uh, Tatooine this week and returned with a stun pistol. Oh yeah. I think that uh, some would find it rather useful. I uh, used it on Chris on the way back. Yeah, it took me a while to recover from that. I'm just saying. Just saying. Uh, yeah. I want to get one for like home protection. Or yeah. maybe, like, later when my kid gets out of line, you know, bang. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, like, a Star Wars um, taser. Kind of, but with one key differentiation that we will come to. Ah, yes. So, what? In, in, in you know, the stun pistol, it's a very common tool in Star Wars universe for law enforcement or bounty hunters who want to bring in targets alive. It's a, it's a basic pistol, deals three die six of stun damage, weighs in at only one kilo, costs 550 credits. Not bad. It runs on a basic power pack that provides 50 shots. Yippee. But okay, you might be asking. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's a pistol that just deals stun damage. Well, scratching my head. Don't most pistols already come with a stun setting? They do, however. So why would I waste my space and my money on a pistol that only shoots stun rounds? I don't know. Maybe because you can use it from 20 squares away. Ah, yes. Uh-huh. Unlike any other weapon with stun capability, which has a max range of six squares. Mm. Not bad at all. And this, it's not like this weapon is hard to find. It's, it's only licensed. It's a licensed weapon. That's it. It's not bad. It's not, not bad military, at all. Not restricted. Nothing. No. Um, so this opens serious doors for condition track killer builds, not to mention reliable non-lethal options for any character at a much safer distance. Much. So you can find this awesome weapon on page 39 of the Unknown Regions. Great tool. Great tool. I showed it to one of my uh, I showed it to Brad the other day and he was like oh my god. Yes. So yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So Thank Pier- you Watto. Thank you very much and uh, <clears throat> by the way if you guys have any equipment that you want reviewed on the podcast Jump into the forums that we've mentioned before, d20radio.com slash forums. Thank you for the S. Mm-hmm. And we'll head, get to head, it. Yeah, head to the Order 66 boards, and you'll find a sticky thread right there. That's right. For Watto's Bargain Basement. Yep. All right. Darth GM comes at us with fragments from the rim. Yet again, we'll see you on the other side. My lords. Welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? I'm Darth GM. 
and the 64th installment of Fragments from the Rim is being recorded mere moments before this episode of the Order 66 podcast, thanks to GM Dave and GM Chris doing the show on Saturday instead of Sunday. Because of this, I thought this would be the perfect time to do a segment on the Ambusher Talent Tree. Now, the Ambusher Talent Tree, found on page 28 of the Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, really starts with the Ambush Specialist Talent. This talent allows you to choose an opponent in the surprise round and designate them as your prime target until the end of the encounter. You get a plus two morale bonus to attacks against your prime target with this talent. And if you take later talents in the tree, you get to do many other mean things to them. The other part of this talent, though, is that it allows you to treat the first round of combat as the surprise round for the purposes of activating feats and talents, even if the combat does not start with a surprise round. Now, this is a great feature for all the talents under this tree, because it allows you to use them. But in my research for this talent, I was hard-pressed to find much of anything else that this could be used with. Most of the other feats and talents I found that mentioned the surprise round only allowed you to do things like draw a weapon and shoot, or move up to your speed, or any number of other things you could normally do with your actions if it wasn't a surprise round. So if a feat allowed you to move your speed during the surprise round, Does that mean that you can move your speed and then have a full set of actions? Possibly. Possibly not. It may be open to some interpretation, or at least a segment on the D20 docking bay. I did find one talent that would work with this, and that's the Scouts Extend Ambush talent in the Camouflage talent tree, which allows you to aim as a free action in the surprise round. But it states that the target also has to be surprised. So if there's no surprise round, is the target really surprised? I might allow for this if the character with these talents has beaten the target's initiative, but really that's a judgment call on the part of your GM. So I'm sending out this challenge to you, Gamer Nation. Find me some talents and feats that work with the Ambush Specialist talent tree that is not from the Ambusher talent tree. Submit your findings to d20darth at gmail.com, and you'll be mentioned and thanked in segment 65 of Fragments from the Rim. Until then, you sneaky gamers, 20 side up, one side down. You have been listening to Fragments from the Rim and Transmission. Sneaky gamers, no, it's the sneaky GMs. Sneaky gamers and sneaky characters make for a sneaky game. Sneaky McSneakerton. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my next Ewok scout. <laughs> <laughs> Sne- sneaky McSneakerton? Sneaky McSneakerton. <laughs> Ah, yes. Yeehaw! Yep. Uh-huh. Ah, yes. So that must mean. I just want to send out a shout-out shout to all the LARPers that we have in the chat room. Two damage, two damage. Okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, Sterling Hershey's in the chat. He was saying earlier he just got back from uh, 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 a Ren fair in his area where he was uh, managing a, a LARP event, helping run the registration. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. I think they should combine Star Wars LARP with paintball. I would totally be onto that. You know? I don't know why. Oh, gosh. I've still got all my paintball gear except except my gun. I, I mean, it gun. is a ranged uh, game, right? Would you imagine if somebody could, like, deflect your paintball with a lightsaber? <laughs> that would be awesome. 
Man. Uh, well, speaking of lightsabers, uh, and, and maybe some deflection, I think it's good to get to the meat of the show. Um, <sighs> tonight's discussion, Gamer Nation, is the result of many months uh, ago, requ- uh, an initial request made by GM Brev, and later echoed by numerous members of the Gamer Nation in the form of PMs, posts, and emails. So, for Brev, Akbar, Mike, Tyrannus3000, Ian, Vlad Tosh, and all the others who contacted us about this, your request has not gone unheeded. Here it is. This episode, and many more to come, are for you. Tonight we begin a new segment on the Order 66 podcast, entitled Visions of the Force. We spend really? a lot of time... What? Really? No, what? Really? Really? Visions of the Force? Visions of the Force. You know what? Dude... Um, there's a, oh shoot, I, I don't remember now. Anyway, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm trying to find something here. Search. Well, for the past couple years, uh, we've been talking a lot about the Jedi and the Sith. Okay, they're, they're key features to the Star Wars universe and two philosophies on the Force. They're, they're instantly recognizable. They're, you know, they're, they're a huge part of the game. But they're not the only philosophies of the Force out there in the galaxy far, far away. There are scores of different Force-using traditions that are a part of Star Wars and have been expanded on heavily in the EU uh, throughout books, games, and comics. And Saga Edition has accounted for most of them, with unique talent trees to let players capture the feel of a different Force tradition. So we're going to spend some time delving into those traditions in many of our episodes to come, talking not only about the history of the tradition to help a player or a GM better understand the characterizations and the role-playing of such a character as a part of that tradition, but we're also going to delve into the saga talent tree for that tradition, talking about how best to integrate it into a character and a game. So, welcome to our first Vision of the Force. Hey, as we pr- I, I well, propose we call it, we call an audible. Okay. Because I actually have an intro that goes something like this. Whispers of the Force. How do you like that? That's not bad. It's not Visions of the Force, but it's, 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 it's close. It's close, I know. But I'll, you know, you know, I'll bet if we ask Cat really nicely, we can get her to record a, uh, a Visions of the Force uh, liner for us. But then I can't use Clonade. Why not? Well, I guess we could. I don't know. Well, anyway, I like not? the song. And it's, it's any excuse to use that song in a in a uh, in a in a bumper, which that is a bumper, by the way. You know, oh, that is a bumper. That yes, is yes. a bumper. Yes, to to start a, a segment, but. Um, Anyway, okay. Well, yeah, no, that's awesome. Very I think cool. I think it's awesome. Yeah, so uh, if if we're yeah, we'll get Cat to do Visions of the Force. Yeah, oh, dude, totally, 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 man. So totally. Well, tonight we have our first Vision of the Force as uh, we prepare to tackle the Gensurai. Gensurai. Now, Dave, I know that that you're not you're you're not an EU guru. No, no. In fact. <laughs> In fact, uh, you know, a lot of you guys are GM, are, are EU inclined. I call myself EU reclined. <laughs> yes. Very, that, that just might be an episode title right there. <laughs> <laughs> EU reclined. 
Very nice. Well, I know that you know you're going over the show notes and and, help, and preparing for this. You know, I, I'm sure you learned quite a bit about this particular force tradition. Um, it's the first force tradition that's actually in the core rulebook, and and we're going to talk about it. Mm. So yes. let's start, Dave, by by relating to our listeners a little bit about the Gen Serai. Um, I guess starting with how they began, which is really what I like to call mixed teachings born of a very dark past. Ah. Um, the Gen Serai were an order of force users founded during the Clone Wars, and they were forged in a crucible of fear, misunderstanding, and death, but eventually they became something more. Um, Dave, tell us a little bit about the birth of the Gen Serai. The birth of the Gen Serai. So the order was founded by a fallen Anzat Jedi Knight, Nikos Tyrus. Mm. Nikos was a Jedi who stumbled upon an ancient Sith text in the Jedi archives, which detailed the birth of the Sith and their split from the Jedi. But, in a piece of propaganda, claimed that the Jedi stole everything they knew from the Sith. Not pausing to consider the fact that the work might be biased, <laughs> Nikos unquestionably accepted these words and turned his back on the Jedi. The name Gensarai itself is a Sith word that means hidden followers of truth. Yes. Now, as the Gensarai grew just before the outbreak of the Clone Wars... Nikos and his followers, which were a group of like, like-minded knights and Padawans, they left Coruscant completely, and they faked their own deaths. All right? So the Order thought they were gone. They secreted themselves to the planet of Susevi and began their order. And Nikos began delving into the Sith manuscript, teaching Sith customs and secrets to his former Jedi followers. Unfortunately, Nikos didn't realize how badly the manuscript was corrupting him and how he was heavily beginning to walk the dark path. Yes. So, after the Clone Wars began, the Jedi Order began to search for any remnants of the Sith. And their search le led them to, I don't even know how to say this, Susevi? Susevi. Susevi. A trio of uh, Jedi discovered Nikos and his two greatest followers, all of them lost to the dark side at this point. Now, the battle was furious, and the leaders of the Gensari were killed. The Sith manuscript was destroyed. Unknown to the Jedi, who believed they'd stamped out a few Sith cultists, the other Gensari followers and families of the murdered leaders watched the entire incidents hidden by Sith Force secrets. So this then began a period of isolation for the Gensari mixed with extreme hatred of the Jedi Order. And this makes sense. It's for, you know, if, from, from their perspective, the Jedi showed up, and they just, you know, oh my gosh, they killed all of our... <laughs> you know, this is, these are our family and friends. They just murdered them in cold blood yeah. for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. From, from their perspective, from, from, from a certain point of view. So. Ah, from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. You'll find that many of the truths that we cling to Yes. <laughs> so th that was the, the beginnings of the Gen Serai. Now, after Order 66, um, and obviously the rise of the Empire, things changed. So after the Republic fell and the Jedi Order fell, the Gen Serai actually believed themselves to be free. 
you know, that no Jedi to enslave and murder them. And they actually exposed themselves openly. They became uh, caretakers and protectors of their planet uh, and practiced a blending of Sith and Jedi teachings. In time, they even exposed themselves to the Empire, <laughs> offering to, to help hunt remaining Jedi because <laughs> uh-huh. they hated them so much. Um, but they, they had started to change a little bit, Dave, just, just a little bit from, I guess, what their leadership had originally intended. Ah. Um, they, um, what, they had begun to, uh, to walk a path that, was, uh, that wasn't really light, nor was it really dark. Uh, they, they practiced Sith rituals and secrets, but, but still followed a great deal of the Jedi tradition, even, even mirroring the Jedi class structure. But unlike uh, their founders, the Gensari, were not devoted to the dark side, though the hatred of the Jedi was still there, so you could argue that they were somewhat dark tendency-wise. Somewhat, but it's an important distinction, and, and they go so far in the EU to talk about how if the manuscript hadn't been destroyed, they might have all fallen, but they weren't there yet, you know what I mean? It was just, the, you know, the, it, was, it, was, it was Nikos and his, his key people that had really fallen, and were the only ones that had really studied this, studied this manuscript directly. Right. So you end up with this group of people that at their core, they're Jedi, that's how they were raised, that's how they started – but they were taught a few things secondhand that were originally Sith in origin, but they don't know that. Right. You know? So, you know, from their perspective, they're just, you know, ah, the Jedi are wrong, you know? Because, hey, you know, they, they, they killed our leaders. Yeah. So, so what happened then when they decided they were going to expose themselves to the Empire and help hunt the remaining Jedi? Did the Empire <laughs> view them well. as a threat? <laughs> Uh, so once the Empire, and more specifically Darth Vader, uh, encountered the first of the Genstari offering to help him hunt Jedi, he immediately sensed the light side in the boy, and he killed him instantly. Wrong. Then the, the Empire then attempted to eradicate all of the Genstari. They, they would not tolerate any other Force-using group. Um, you know, but much like before, the Genstari hid themselves, and they survived. Mm, the last of the religion. Then something cool happened. Uh, there was this kid, this farm boy from Tatooine, and he blew up a couple space stations. <laughs> he blew up a couple... No, he did not blow up the second one. Okay, true that. Okay, he and his... Uh, his his, his uh, merry uh, band of followers? His merry band of followers <laughs> blew up a couple space stations, and, uh, you know, the, the Empire fell. And then this thing called uh, the New Republic formed up, and the New Jedi Order. So after the Empire was destroyed, the Genserai were finally exposed to the galaxy again. They were sort of rediscovered by Luke Skywalker and Corrin Horn. Um, because, you know, when Luke was trying to rebuild the new Jedi Order, he was scouring the galaxy looking for more Force users, other signs of the Force, and he stumbled upon them. Um, despite initial mistrust, uh, Luke and his allies quickly made fast friends with the Genserai, and the Order was able to move past decades-old hatred and work together towards a brighter future. Many Genserai even joined Skywalker's new Jedi Order, which is kind of cool. Um, but even, nice. there's always, there, even when they joined, there was always this sort of undercurrent of, you know, you, know, you guys are walking this gray line, you know, it, that's not a good thing. And they're saying, oh, yeah, so says you, you know. <laughs> right. So what, what makes you a Gensari? Mm. That's my question. I mean, are you, what happens? I, I mean, I can see the role-playing aspect of this coming, you know, because yeah. you're going to have dark side points. Potentially. Potentially. Uh, as a Gensari character, you know, you're, you're trained in the arts of the Sith and the Jedi. You, you walk a dangerous line between light and dark, but you're not Sith. 
Okay, and, you know, as we said, Nikos and his core leadership, they had turned, but hadn't the chance to turn their followers, who all of whom were former Jedi, before they were killed and the manuscript was destroyed. So as such, the traditions of the Jedi really formed a key belief structure of the Gen Serai, you know, many, most of whom had no clue their new teachings and abilities were of Sith origin. They just knew what they were. Um, so let's start, let's talk a little bit about the philosophy of the Gen Serai. Philosophy. Considering what we've just learned, Dave, how would you 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 relate the philosophy of a Gen Serai? It's on the back of a cereal box. Potentially. Religion. Oh, never mind, sorry. Getting <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as Gen Serai, you believe in your own path. You walk a lonely road. My shadow is the only one that walks beside me. Mm. You believe in your own path, a path of strength and protection which does not follow the dark side, but doesn't blindly devote itself to the light side either. You are deeply honorable, very disciplined, and you respect those traits in others. You respect the power of aggression, though not to the point of letting the dark side consume you. Basically, you're a Klingon. (laughs) That is an excellent analogy. That is that is excellent. Um, I can see a lot of um, a lot of Genserai walking the same path as um, uh, more honorable Mandalorians. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, in essence, but th- that's a key aspect. The difference between the Genserai and and the Jedi is, from a, a role playing perspective, more than anything else, they 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 don't shy away from aggression. Jedi do. Aggression is a last resort. But the Genserai are aggressive, and they believe in aggression in terms of what it can do. But they, the thing is, though, they are very clear that you, you, you cannot let it consume you. At that point, you've, you've lost the path. Right. Um, so there you go. Uh, in terms of the practices of the Genserai, um, they, they follow this protective philosophy, very similar to the Jedi, and they, they do devote themselves to lightsaber combat. You know, that was hey, their initial form of training. However, lightsaber construction is not this action of great meaning that it is to a Jedi. This is a key difference. Genserai often construct lightsabers quickly, early. They view them as tools, okay, uh, similar to Imperial Knights, to talk about another Force tradition. Nice. But there is one thing that, in terms of a, a created item, that sort of defines the Genserai character, similar to the way a lightsaber does for a Jedi, that is very important to the Genserai. And that is armor. Genserai wear armor. Awesome armor. <laughs> it's a spiritual item for them. They follow the Sith tradition of wearing and creating very powerful battle armor. Uh, a Genserai personally crafts a deeply personal and specific set of armor for themselves, uh, which usually mimics the look of an animal or a creature of deep personal significance to the Genserai. That's a key point of the character and the talent tree, which we're going to come to. Wow. They really are Mandos in disguise. I'm telling you, it's like the Mando Force tradition. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um, okay, abilities of the Genserai. Yes. Let me I guess. What? They are powerful Force users. Obviously. With their Jedi and Sith traditions mixed together. But um, they uh, their specialties really lie in the creation of this armor. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about earlier, they have the ability to hide themselves using the Force. In a specific way, yes, they do. Um, so, okay. Becoming a Genserai. In game terms, 
mechanically, how do you become a Genserai? How do you learn their ways? Okay. Obviously, any force sensitive from the from the Swarbi system uh, was likely raised in this tradition. Okay, the Genserai stepped up to the plate; they became protectors of the planet. So, if you manifested force sensitivity, you were most likely taken into the into the tradition. Okay, but the Genserai can confer membership to any force sensitive character who is accepted as an apprentice by a force disciple or force adept who is also a member of the Genserai. So. Huh. That's kind of how you do it. Nice. So let's talk about what makes the Genserai a Genserai in terms of the game mechanics. Let's talk about the Genserai Defender talent tree. Because you can't have anything in the uh, rules without a talent tree. This is correct. Yeah. Well, the talent tree for the Genserai tradition is found on page 107 of the Saga Edition Core Rulebook, and it represents this combination of light and dark teachings formed into a really unique tradition. These talents may be selected, similar to Force talents, any time a Force-sensitive character qualifies for a talent, but you can only take them if you are a character that is a member of the Gen Sarai tradition. GMs, listen closely. <laughs> GMs, please listen up. This is very important, because, you know, you can easily abuse these talents in certain character builds, you know, but again, that role-playing constraint has to come in to sort of balance things out. So talk to me about the first talent in this tree that we're going to talk about, Dave. Ah, yes. This is Attune Armor. As a full round action, you may spend a force point to attune a set of armor to the force. Permanently increasing its armor bonus by plus two and increasing the maximum dexterity bonus of the attuned armor by plus one. Only you can benefit from these bonuses. Anyone else wearing the armor does not gain them. So, if you craft this awesome battle armor, you can attune it, basically. Yeah. And make it uber awesome. Uber. Uber. Uh, the next talent, um, it's really the last one of the tree, but we're going to talk about it next because it's kind of in the same vein, is called Linked Defense, and this is really another defense-heavy talent. I like this one. I like it a lot. It's actually very, um, very. It's a very selfless talent, um, you know, kind of that that Jedi creeping up again. As a swift action, you take a penalty of up to minus five on your attack roll that round, and you add the same number to an ally's reflex defense, as long as the ally is within line of sight when you activate this talent. Uh, that lasts till the start of your next turn. That's huge. Okay? Line of sight. And there's no need to remain in line of sight. That's awesome. That is cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the time constraint, you know, till the beginning of your next turn kind of kind of sucks. But considering that you can do this every single round as a, a no-cost swift action, yeah, that's not, that's not bad. No, not bad at all. I mean, if I, if I can just give an ally a plus five to the reflex defense, really, for a swift action, and it, it means that I actually sacrifice a little bit of my attack ability, I sacrifice some of my aggression. Um, I think it's a very selfless talent. Yep. Hmm. So, um, for those of you that played City of Heroes, if you played a bubbler, this is for you. <laughs> Force Cloak is the next uh, talent uh, that we have in the talent tree. 
And this one is, uh, as a swift action, you can surround yourself with an invisible bubble of force power that shields you and anything you're carrying from electronic surveillance. The bubble also blocks any and all electronic sensors and communications and lasts until the start of your next turn. Or you can maintain the ability from round to round as a standard action. Mm. That's that's kind of cool. It is. I mean, if you have a use for it. it you, I mean, you as do. a standard action, it's pretty expensive to do. But Well, from round to round. It's it's one of those... Th- I mean, but initially, it's just that, that swift. But, but, I don't know. It's one of those things most, most like... Force Heidi abilities like shield you from physical sight. That's what they do. They give you concealment or cover or, or all that. Okay, this doesn't do that. All it does is hide you from electronic surveillance. And in the Star Wars universe, I think that's very powerful. You can have a colony of of Gen Sarai that are you know the, you know the Empire shows up or the Jedi Order shows up and they scan the planet from orbit and oh no one's there. Right. <laughs> I guess we're moving on. Um, but but take a look at the wording. Okay, it blocks any and all electronic sensors and electronic surveillance, um, as well as communications. Dude, homing beacons. All right, comlink signals. All right, so th- this can even protect you from something stupid like a, like you know a buddy trying to comlink you in the heat of battle when you got this ability, you know up. Oh well, nobody hears it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or a bounty something. hunter like sends a droid after you. Just mm-hmm. to try and find you. Well, can't find you. Yeah, exactly. Force Cloak Mastery um, is, is the last talent in this tree, and it's sort of the, the one-up of Force Cloak. It works just like Force Cloak, except you, you, your bubble extends to envelop a number of creatures, including yourself, equal to your character level. Uh, so yes. that's awesome. This is where one Gen Sarai in the party can help shield their entire party. Um, from detection, and that becomes a lot more useful, in my opinion. Especially if you have a Gen Sarai on the team and you guys are trying to do some infiltration, that yeah. can be really, really useful. That's where I think of almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Handy so, dandy. Yeah. So those are the talents. Um, let's talk about pulling it together and actually playing a Gen Sarai. Uh, if, if the idea of a Gen Sarai really intrigues you, there, there are some great ways to make an effective Gen Sarai character and ways to best take advantage of their abilities. It's also, I think, worthwhile, Dave, to talk about some of the player and GM pitfalls to having a Gen Sarai in the party, which we alluded to earlier and we'll come back to. Ah, yes. So what should I do to make a good Gen Sarai? Please, please tell me. Well, uh, for this Force tradition, there's several good ways to get there and some things you should definitely do. Um, remember, you're, you're a lightsaber combatant, first and foremost. Okay, This, this means that levels in, in Jedi to pick up those awesome lightsaber combat talents. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. But your key deal is what? Armor. Armor. Soldier. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to need at least three levels in soldier just to pick up armor defense and improved armor defense at some point. Um, Not to mention you're going to have to pick up at least light armor proficiency. Um, Yeah, there you go. So do you start with soldier? That is a good question. Um, you can go either way. Honestly, I think it comes down to an issue of what you want out of the character and what feats you have available. So yeah. you, you, you want to be proficient in lightsabers, right? And you got to be force sensitive. Well, if you start in soldier, that's two feats you got to burn off the bat. Right. Okay. If you're playing a human, you could do it at first level. If you're not, it's going to take you a little while to, to get there. Or you do your first level in soldier, pick up your armor pre- proficiencies, 
take force sensitivity as your bonus feat, and then multi-class into Jedi, and as your bonus feat, pick up lightsaber proficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Your multi-class bonus feat. But it's really six to one, half a dozen to the other. You're going to have a level where you're not able to use a lightsaber well, and that stinks. Right. The alternative is to start as a Jedi, you know, and and grab, you know, you get force sensitivity right away. You get lightsaber prof right away. You can spend your bonus feat on, you know, light armor proficiency. That's totally doable. You can do that. You you, you can do that. You can, you can do it. You can um, do it. Or when you multi-class into Soldier later, you can choose Light Armor Prof as your bonus feat for multi-classing. It, you know, it really depends on how you go. You know, if you start as Soldier, you get a, you know an extra bonus skill. You get training and a lot more weaponry, um, and that can be really handy. So, pay and, like pockets on a shirt. Mm. But you know, with, with all those armor talents, Dave, and you know, with a tune armor, once you start taking those Genseride talents you are going to have one heck of a reflex de- defense, right? Yes, you are, because, I mean, when it's all said and done, the Gensari character is all about defense. Exactly. The best offense is a good defense. Exactly. So from a cinematic perspective, and uh, both uh, in a functional perspective as well, you should, you know, you really should be able to defend your allies and jack your own defenses through the roof. Yeah. So uh, your armor use is going to be your key. Couple that with block, deflect, skill focus, use the force. Dude, how hard is it going to be to hit you then? You would be nigh unhittable. I mean, and that doesn't even take into account, like, dodge, improved defense, martial arts. Yeah. Those will all increase your defenses even more. Mm Mm-hmm. Very, very heavy. The Genserai have also uh, developed a unique set of tactics, obviously, that allow them to remain fairly undetected when they don't want to be, at least to electronic surveillance. I find that many Genserai characters will pepper a level of scout or scoundrel in the mix as well in order to train in stealth to help represent that. You know, ha you can't see me on your scanners. Ha-ha, you can't see me in real life. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, and remember, unlike other D20 systems, you do not take penalties to your stealth checks for wearing armor as long as you're proficient with it. So... Win! That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Ganthet says this sounds almost broke. Mm. Well, now we're coming to that. Ha-ha, yes. There's pluses and there's minuses. (laughs) Let's talk about the pitfalls of of the Genserai, some of the problems that can crop up from being a Genserai or from GMing one. Dave, talk to us about the player's side of things. I mean... So, yeah... Being a Genserai, depending on your time period, can absolutely suck. <laughs> yeah. All right? Prior to Clone Wars, you didn't even exist. <laughs> so this may not even be possible, depending on the right. time period, right? Right. But here's the good news. The good news is, during the Clone Wars, the Dark Times, and the Rebellion Era, you existed, but you're a hunted creature. <laughs> so either the Jedi... Or the Empire pretty much want you dead, and you hate them both. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this can this can create almost impossible play situations for the party. Yeah, I mean, imagine having a Genserai in the Clone Wars era with a Jedi in the party. Oh God, the the inner party conflict would be would be crap. Yeah, 
It, it it's tough role playing wise. It's it. I mean, it's it's hard. It it is it is very it can hard. it can be hard now you know. Yeah, gonna, if you if you get a party of mercs and then the, the force user is a genserai or you have a party of genserai, that could be kind of cool. Um, but even then, it's not going to be easy. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I mean, you you exist, and anyone that you come in contact with, you hate, and they want you dead. Pretty much <laughs> up up until like New Jedi Order, okay. Th- that's it. And, and, yeah, they hate you. They want you dead. Pretty much. <laughs> um, Look at Dono in the in the chat room. A Jedi, a Sith, and a Jensrai walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, and furthermore, unlike a Jedi, um, this is somebody Pierce brought this up in the chat room. Okay, if I'm a Jedi in the dark times, okay. You know what? I can put on a traveler's outfit and stick my lightsaber up my sleeve. What is the right. Genserai's key aspect here? Yeah, yeah, the armor beacon. The armor. <laughs> oh man, that sure is a snazzy Mandalore. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh my gosh, it looks like a snake or a bantha or a reek or a Nexu. Ah, it's a Genserai. Ah, kill it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, not to mention the fact that as a Genserai playing in this era, you have absolutely no reason to leave your planet. Why would you? That's your point. You're there on Susevfi to protect that system. That's your goal. It would take a lot of hardcore role-playing to have a reason for you to be away from your home world, assuming it's, you know, pre-New Jedi Order. Right. Okay, so a lot of role-plays suck. Okay, th- that, that is where, again, as we said, the role-playing constraints always tend to balance things here. When, it, when we're talking about the Force, and this is where it really comes in, right? Now let's talk about the GM side of things. Uh. Let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, all right? And I've ranted about this before. GMs in Saga generally dislike players who say, I want to be a Genserai. Why is that, Dave? Why is that? Because that's the player that wants to be broken and play both sides of the Force fence. Precisely. That's exactly what, nine times out of ten, in my experience, that player really wants. I want to be a great Jedi, <laughs> because I want to do all this wicked stuff without the, uh, you know, the mechanical balance that comes with being a Jedi. Such players will tend to argue with you vehemently after every dark side point and questionable decision. And it's something to be aware of. It is, it is as often a sign of a player that wants to be broke-tastic. Yeah. And the more they argue, the more they deserve the DSP. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, as a GM with the Genserai and the party, listen, this can be a lot of fun. You know, we talk about all the problems that can result from this. Uh, you know, a good GM sees those not as problems, but as, honestly, role-playing opportunities. Those are plot hooks, baby. Yep. Um, but, you know, from a, from a play balance and mechanic standpoint, if you're GMing a character like this, you've got to remember, this character concept walks a dangerous line anyway. Yep. Okay. As a GM, you need to be seriously enforcing DSPs and tough decisions more often for such a character. Bottom line. And if you're not careful, they're going to hate you for it. (laughs) But you've got to do it to keep it fair and to keep it proper. Yeah. To keep the balance. Bottom line. Yes. Balance. Balance. B-A-L-A-N-C. Balance. Nice. 
So that is the Gen Sarai Gamer Nation, and that is the uh, brief look at this uh, rather entrenched Force tradition in the EU. Uh, hopefully we've done, managed to do it a little bit of justice and given you a few ideas along the way. And uh, thank you all for your patience. We've had, you know, it was a long time ago we had the suggestion from a lot of people for this segment and this series of segments, and I'm, I'm anxious to kick it off with the uh, first tradition out there, and uh, I look forward <laughs> to the others to come. <laughs> what? We may have a winner in the chat room already. Episode 119, Visions of Reclined Fence Sitting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Fiddleback's going to have to work pretty hard to overcome that one. I know. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Not whispers, mind you, but visions. <laughs> Indeed. I feel like. I feel somewhat like Alchematus. No, I don't. Not really. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, that was kind of a short show, man. Yeah. Talking we about kinda, the we, we kinda We kind of blew through it, but we a, did. a good show nonetheless. But it's good stuff, you know? So. It's good uh, stuff. And I know I'm uh, sorry we couldn't get Rodney on the show. We'd plan to have Rodney on the show uh, next, but we couldn't work it out with scheduling. Um, yep. Hopefully uh, next he, week we'll be able to. Hopefully next week we'll be able to, but that's still coming up, so keep your eyes on the forums uh, for announcements on that, as well as on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter, and we do update pretty frequently about when our next show is going to be, and uh, yep. uh, we'll obviously announce a guest, of course, if they're coming on, and you can follow me at GM Chris. I'm at GM Dave. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, again, we want to hear what you guys want us to talk about. So email us, call the loose the line, get to the forums, give us a holla. Yep. So we thank you to uh, Grant, Pierced Geek, Big Dumb Gamorian, Drake1977, and of course, uh, Darth GM, and uh, Fiddleback, and full-on gamer and everyone who's created content for this show. I know what a wonderful show it is. We appreciate all of you guys. What a wonderful show it is. That listen to us and all of you that have become uh, D20 Radio Partners, uh, we thank you. Absolutely. You guys find us at d20radio.com. Email us, gmdave at d20radio.com, gmchris at d20radio.com. Tweet goodness, although she's not on the show very much because she kind of has a baby baby. Baby, a little baby, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Yep. So, are we gonna get like sad piano music? Uh, we might. We we just we just might. And I'm, uh, you know, sure. Oh, I don't feel the show's complete unless I hear the sad piano music. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, once again, good show. Thank you all. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And uh, GM Dave says, keep them dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll.
www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Post show. Uh, yes, we use Sad Piano and Sad Panda interchangeably, those of you in the chat room. Yes. We've always sad. called it Sad Piano Music, but Cat coined the frame, coined the term Sad Panda. It's Sad Panda. Because she said she was a sad panda when the music came up. <laughs> Pierce is in the chat room saying, maybe it's a sad panda playing the piano. That would be the saddest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> While walking off into the sunset along a lonely road, <laughs> Phil back ads. That's nice. Oh gosh, love it, love it. Oh god, I'm in pain. Why? I have an ulcer. You have an ulcer, dude. Yes, yes, I have a peptic ulcer. I had one of those, and um, yeah, they hurt, uh, especially when they go crazy. But the good news is, man, they've got some. Uh, are you going to do that 10-day treatment thing? No, I haven't been to the doctor yet. I just, uh, it, it, it's self-diagnosed, but I've been to 37,000 websites, and it all tells me the exact same symptoms, and I'm like, yeah, I've got an ulcer. It may and just be bad acid reflux, you know. No, because I'm not getting acid reflux. It's, it, I, I was for about two weeks solid, and all of a sudden this happened. So it's usually a prelude to an ulcer. It's that feeling of extreme hunger pangs all the time that are, are so bad to sort of double you over when they hit. Um, and furthermore, I've taken some over-the-counter stuff for ulcer treatment, and it's helped. So, yeah, I've got an ulcer. I just got to get to the doctor. Yep. I have to uh, occasionally I wake up in the middle of the night. Not that, you know, they put you on like a really high dose of antibiotics because it's called by it's, it's like caused by some uh, bacteria called uh, Helicobacter pylori or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was reading about that. And they have this, they have this antibiotic course. They have to take for 10 days, and you've got to take all this other stuff with it because it upsets your stomach pretty bad. But at the end of it, the it really does help. I mean, I, I very, very rarely have ulcer issues unless I do something stupid like eat an hour before I go to bed, you know, or something like that. And uh, usually it's nothing that a glass of milk won't just kill. I mean, it feels like the fire just goes out in my stomach when I drink a glass of milk at night. Okay. So, yeah, I feel you, bro. I... That, and that hurts, dude. That really hurts. Yeah, but Tichi's doing better. She had her hand surgery a little while back. Yep. Um, and she had the stitches out this week, and um, it's it's creepy. She's bit, she's had the stitches, and she's had like her hand like like it's not casted, but it's splinted. You know. Yeah. Uh, for like the past couple weeks, and so it's it's weird. It's atrophied. 
Oh no! <laughs> and she has to. She, well, they knew it, it. It happens. She has to go to physical therapy for a few weeks to get it back up. Oh it's yeah. Like, it's weird. It's like this. This weird little like baby arm. Like, like, like just the wrist. The wrist itself is like super thin compared to the other wrist. I'm like, whoa. Wow, it's amazing how fast it's, it goes, uh, huh? It's it's yeah, but she's she's doing a lot better, so that's really good. And, uh, oh yeah. So I am every day I, I get home and I play with my Path of the Jedi or the Jedi Path, the Vault Edition book. <laughs> <that I got. laughs> too bad you too bad you can't use Ustream anymore, otherwise you could show it. I know. It's so cool. Um it the book itself is smaller than I expected. I don't know why that is, because the case for the book is exa- exactly the size I expected. But um it's just gorgeous. Huh. It's like it's well I brought it up to work. You saw it. I did. Um, yes, and like General Grievous, it was shorter than I expected. It was shorter than I expected. Um but it's just it's beautiful. It's 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 fully illustrated color. Um, and there's all kinds of these, the best part is these little bitty trinkets they put inside of it, like, you know, like a, a medallion and like a, a, a lock of hair, like a Jedi's Padawan lock that's been cut, um, like, you know, a map of the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, like a little tourist brochure handout and all that. And my favorite one is a napkin. It's an honest to goodness napkin, complete with a coffee stain on it from Dexter Jetster's diner. Nice. That Obi Wan drew the plans for his lightsaber on uh, after Episode One, and he lost his lightsaber in the fight with Darth Maul. Uh, it, dude, it it's a great resource. It's absolutely great. My favorite part is that the prophecy of the Chosen One is the chapter that's completely torn out of the book, intentionally torn out of it. And there's like an, a note in there from Luke saying these pages were missing when I found when I got the book. I think Palpatine might have torn them out. It was it's awesome, it's so <laughs> awesome. Um, God, and Amazon's got I'm I, okay. Here's what else ticks me off. I pre-ordered this thing for like sixty three dollars. Amazon is selling it now for fifty nine. Oh, that's so that's so Amazon like, dude. Because they had that up there that price was going to be ninety nine bucks, and then pre-order yeah. now for sixty three or whatever. And now they're saying now they come on sale totally for fifty nine. Well, no, they're still saying uh, normal price ninety nine ninety nine, but we're selling it for fifty nine. And at that level, you don't pay shipping. So it's still shipping free for fifty nine dollars. It, it's it's fantastic, man. Um, Do it. I'm, to- I'm totally. Yeah, you guys. You guys have got to go buy it. It's Do it's it. awesome. Do and it. I've been I, I've been struggling. I feel really bad because two days ago I had planned to have my fantasy setting uh, legends off to the guys at Phantom Comics to do all the design and layout. But I've just been so, you you know I've been so busy at work. And then I come home and it's baby. I'm not quite done yet. I've got another day or two of work I still have to do in terms of uh, art. Um, and so I'm getting off to them a couple of days later than I had planned. But also I'm feeling bummed about that. But um, I'm anxious to get that off. So yep. it's cool. It's so cool. Like, oh, God, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Beautiful. So I had for a firm flashbacks to 1996. Mm-hmm. 14 years ago, I sat. Um, you know, I was a relatively new branch manager working at a bank. I was young. I was like 23 at the time. Or somewhere close to that. And... Uh, 
you know, as a 23-year-old single branch manager, I had quite a bit of disposable income. And so I bought season tickets to the Rangers that year, the, yeah. Tex- the Texas Rangers. And as a season ticket holder, I got playoff tickets when they went to the playoffs in 1996. And I got to see two playoff games. Mm. In 1996, including the one that they went into the ninth inning, leading. And um, rather than keep the pitcher in who had only given up like four hits and only one run, they chose to put in the gas can known as Mike Henneman, Uh. who promptly lost the game. The Rangers went on to lose uh, game four, and they were booted out of the series. So I had these visions of... uh, uh, the starting pitcher from that game, Darren Oliver, um, who came back and took the mound in the eighth inning last night. Rangers are up 5-1. to one. Darren Oliver, as he is wont to do, empties his gas can on the field and lights a match, and the Rangers lose 6-5. to five. And I don't know why. I mean, anyway, I'm just very, very upset. And they came and they just pounced the Yankees today, killed them seven to two, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, they had that, you know. I mean, imagine going to New York up to love with your ace starting Game Three in New York. Yeah. I mean that. I I would have been I I would have been lining up already to look for World Series tickets at that point. But as it is now, I mean. It's it's a toss up. I mean, Cliff has to pitch really good on Monday, and then they've got he, CC coming back for Game Four. So, yeah, I'm worried about CC. Cliff will do fine. So yeah, I mean, we hit CC Sabathia pretty good. Yeah. So, but he's very rarely hit bad two games in a row. CJ Wilson looked good. He looked great. I mean, he outdueled CC, and yeah. but then you know, of course, the bullpen came in and lost the game for him in the eighth. But yeah, the Texas Rangers normally are not any good, uh, RT, R2D Toots. They uh, are owned, or were owned by, um, partly owned anyway, by the same guy who uh, apparently used to own Liverpool. So Liverpool sucked. Now that now that they're being bought by somebody else, maybe they're going to get better, just like the Rangers did. Tom Hicks. Maybe. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I, uh, maybe. Yes, I have a lot of money, uh yeah, that's kind of how he talks. Uh, yeah, uh, Tom Hicks. Yeah, uh, we're uh, going to be uh, looking into that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, hey. So, Westham. Oh yes, of course. West Westham. Okay, so I I know you got it too. I get this email from Sam Whitworth this week. Ah, and it was yes. saying just saying. And it was I, – I, I had seen them on TV at that point, um, or maybe part, I think that day. But uh, basically there's on, – on Kotaku, there were two new – they had posted up two of the new TV spots for The Force Unleashed 2, which comes out on the 26th of this month, by the way. Buy it. Um, now. Don't wait for the translation. Go. And they looked so cool. Uh, they both had Vader in them. Oh, they were so oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. If you don't have enough Sam Witwer fix, by the way – uh, he did a um, he did an interview with the cast of Being Human. Mm. I mean, you know, they did a I'm not sure what it was. It was like press day or something. And there's some stuff up uh, just from like a week ago. 
So if you do like a Google search for being human, Sam Witwer, you get all that stuff. Cool. So, yeah, he's all excited about how that that show is progressing. So you'll see it on Sci-Fi here. Uh, I believe in January, if I am not mistaken, oh. the show will debut on the Sci-Fi network. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know wrestling is moving to Sci-Fi. It's been there. I mean, what's up with they've that? Had, they've had some wrestling on it. Huh? I'm not that big of a wrestling fan. <laughs> Me either. Pretty soon it's going to be Spike, Spike TV South. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. Oh, gosh, man. Um, so I was listening to the most recent episode of Game On, Players and Pawns. Go, Pap. Go, Pap. And they did a, um, they, they did a, they had a panel talking about war gaming. I haven't listened to that one yet. Uh, I think I started Dude, to. Because, um, uh, William's on it, right? Uh, yeah, Old School's on it and, and, and a couple other folks. Um, I think, I think uh, Ganthet was also on it. Um, and it was incredibly informative discussion. Like, listen, I've been exposed to wargaming, and I've done a little bit of it. You know, I mean, I, you know, I got I got buddies at Reaper. I've messed around with you know uh, some of the Reaper games, um, but I've never really been a huge wargamer. And um, it just it was a really cool episode. Uh, you know, I, I learned a lot, and two awesome things came out of that episode for me. The first was talking about the history of wargaming. I actually I found a, a free download online, uh, legal, <laughs> of of a copy of this, an ebook. Uh, there was basically the first published wargaming rules was done in like 1913. No way. By this one dude and H. G. Wells. Oh yes, yes, that's right. I remember that was the beginning of of. The show or the beginning of the portion that William was talking about was H.G. Wells. Yeah, and it's like I, I went through the. It's, it's it's hilarious. Like there's there's pictures and stuff. All these old grainy, you know, black and white, uh, you know, you know, chromatic pictures from the for, from the era of these these dapper British gents like laying out like toy soldiers with this you know mocked up terrain and stuff. It's awesome, dude. Um, so that's cool. And the other thing that came out of me was that uh, Brian Fiddleback had mentioned. Uh, this one war game that I've never heard of, and I went online and I'm totally in love with it. And I want to play it so hard. It's called Fairy Meat. Fairy Meat. Fairy Meat. Okay. And the the idea is all the units are fairies or gnomes of one type or another that have have all in their history have gone mad. They've all become mostly cannibals. <laughs> and what I like about this is that. Unlike any other miniature game, they're expressed on the fact that fairy meat takes place in a one-to-one scale. The minis are the size of the fairies. <laughs> and so there's no real terrain. They encourage you to set up terrain based on things you actually have around the house because it's a one-to-one scale. So books, pens, pencils, cups, you know, whatever. That is the terrain because it's a one-to-one scale, and I totally want to play this. Bowl um, of Cheerios, dude. Yeah, seriously, Cheerios. It's awesome. That would be awesome. I love it. Love it. Wow. Let's check that out, dude. I'm, I am stoked. It's very cool. Have you gotten to play anything recently, board game wise or anything else? 
No, dude. I'm like you. I have been extremely busy for work, and as it turns out, starting Tuesday, I'll I'll be gone more than I'll be home. I know. Uh, you know, between Vegas and Washington D.C. and what Birmingham and Memphis, I'll be traveling all over. But the good news is, I invoked the American Airlines Platinum Challenge because I am I already have fifteen thousand miles of travel booked between now and the end of the year. And the American Airlines doesn't advertise it, nor is it written anywhere on the American Airlines site. So if you are a frequent traveler and have not done this, I'm about to give you a present. If you call American Airlines, their their standard uh, A-advantage customer service, and tell them that you would like to take a Platinum Challenge. Now, it costs like $140 to do. But if you know you're going to travel 10,000 points worth of, of miles, which depending on your routes and all that, usually takes about fourteen to 15,000 miles to get 10,000 points, then you can basically do this. And as soon as you hit 10,000 points in a 90-day period, you become platinum. You skip gold and you go straight to platinum. I travel awesome. a lot. I'm a, gold, I'm a gold member already. So, you know, I don't pay for bags and, you know, all this other stuff. Being platinum basically means you never get bumped off a flight, hardly ever get bumped off a flight. You go stand by in front of everybody else and a host of other couple of good, you know, things, discounted Admirals Club and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. And so basically, yeah, you call them up, say, I want to I want to do a Platinum Challenge, and you get 90 days to accumulate 10,000 points, which I should be able to do. And uh, you become Platinum. So as it is, I've got enough travel to be gold again next year, but I just... What the heck? I'm going to be, uh, I think I'm going to try and get me some platinum. Nice. Which is really cool. Nice. So, uh, yeah. You're going to be doing a fair bit of traveling yourself now all of a sudden, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Starting in November. I'll be, I'll be out for a few weeks. So, yeah. So the podcast will just have to survive. We'll manage. We'll make it work. That's right. Um, I got some playing in this past week. I, I, I was actually, um happy to do on uh, uh actually well, not this past week it was actually last week um you know jake uh our good buddy jake from our our gaming group uh got married uh, over last weekend yes i missed the bachelor party you guys got to play all kinds of stuff oh yeah we had a we had a geeks bachelor party we went out for uh some awesome ribs and then went back to jake's house and totally geeked it out we played board games until we couldn't play board games anymore man because let's face it, we're almost forty, or at least I'm almost forty. It's just too—you're just too old to go traipsing around the strip clubs. Uh, well, I don't—I don't know. We just—I grew up. I mean, well, well, I guess—I guess keeping it keeping it friendly for children. I uh, the last time I went to one was for a bachelor party of a friend, and I don't know, man. It's like you know, I'm I'm in my thirties, and I mean, what what is the what what? I mean, well, there, well, there's a lot, but I, like, I, after about an hour, I'm like, okay, okay, I've seen it. It's Let's like go. it's like Vegas, you know. Once you've been once, <laughs> it just, I mean, it's all the freaking same. It's like, uh, okay, let's go. All right, I'm done. Let's. All right, I'm done. I'm, I'm I'm done. But but so we had a great geek bachelor party. I got to play. Um, we, we had a huge like like uh seven six or seven person game of or five or six whatever the maximum number of people allowed in a game of bang. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I got taken out early. 
and then we played. Um, Were you Josh. the sheriff? No, I was an outlaw. Oh. And of course, I was trying to kill the sheriff very hard, very fast, so I became a target, you know, and oh uh, well. Yeah. Um, then I got to play some. Uh, what do we play next? We played Bang. Uh, played some Castle Panic, which is a great cooperative game. Um, that I know that I know they talked about on Game On before, but um, have you heard of Castle Panic at all? Uh, no. It's I mean, like, I've I've heard of it, but I. Uh... Well, it, it's it's a great game. It's like twenty five or thirty bucks. It's totally worth the money. But all, all the players are working together to defend this sort of. Uh, keep this medieval keep at the center of the board from this never-ending onslaught of ogres and goblins and orcs and trolls and stuff that keep coming out from the hillsides, you know. And it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, played that. We got to play some Pandemic. Yeah. Which is just a kitten, kitten, a kid, a kitten caboodle of fun. And I got to play some Forbidden Island. Damn. Um, Forbidden Island is basically Pandemic Light. It was written by the same guy who wrote Pandemic. And you're a group of... of uh, it's another cooperative game. You guys are a group of explorers that have found this forbidden island. And you have to race around the island uh, collecting cards and trying to gather these four secret treasures before the entire island sinks. And it, it becomes very hectic and very nerve-wrenching. And you're trying to shore up tiles that are flipped over and about to sink. And, and you know, uh, and, and make it to the landing zone in time and keeping it from sinking. And, and you know, fly out of there before the whole island collapses. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I got to play some Cthulhu dice. Ah, yes, the Cthulhu dice sweeping the nation. Dude, that's a that's like the best three dollar game I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. It's nothing but a one twelve sider with different symbols on it and a bunch of glass beads. But it it was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Even more so with a few beers. Yeah, yeah. Games are typically more fun when you've drank a little bit. Depends on the game. Yeah, I guess it does <laughs> depend on the game. Power yeah. Grid, not so much. Yeah, oh yeah, or trying to play uh, Pandemic for the first time after you've been drinking in the hot tub for an hour. Mm-mm. Not the greatest idea in the world. The zombie oh, dice, yeah, they're talking about zombie dice. That's zombie zombie dice. There's is great. a isn't there an app on the iPhone for zombie dice? I got dice? the iPhone app. It dude, th- there's a- two apps for the iPhone. There's Zombie Dice uh, Light and Zombie Dice Regular. Regular is like a couple bucks, or it's like maybe just be a buck, and that lets you play with like multiplayer and stuff. The light app is free, and it's just you versus the computer, so you can play or, Zombie Dice on your iPhone. Or as we found, we could play all the way across the floor where we were sitting at work. The, you uh, remember that's when we, right. we we just on a whim we said, "I wonder if you, I wonder if this will work to do the you know the phone to phone." No, that wasn't Zombie Dice. That was Button Men. Oh, it was Button Man. Never mind. That's right. That it was Button another Man. another great uh, a game that got ported to the iPhone really well. Yeah. Oh, right, oh see Jake Bacon's in the chat going, "Yeah, dude, ask ask the Bruce City gamers. Beer goes with any game." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for you guys, but you guys drink a lot. <laughs> y- y'all are y'all are from Milwaukee. Beer is like a fifth humor for you guys. Yeah. We it's you know what? We haven't featured BCG in a while. And mm-hmm. they have done some funny crap. Yeah, they really have. They they really really have. I've I've been uh, I've been tickled pink. I, I'm about halfway through their their most recent um, uh, uh, entry, which was episode sixty six, uh, Oshkon. Oshkon, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. They 
my my favorite part. I I haven't gotten to it yet, um, but they're gonna talk about uh set the Settlers of Catan, the fifteenth anniversary wooden edition <laughs> is coming out, and I I don't know, man. I just might have to get it. I know it's gonna be expensive, but yeah, you might just I, have to. Uh, really There's just something about Mr. Ruffles' voice. He just sounds funny to me. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, to be mean or anything. He just sounds entertaining. Really? I don't know why. It's part partly the whole Wisconsin, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, Wisconsin, oh, yeah, yeah. But this this Catan Wooden Edition, Dave, it's like, it's like a normal Catan-looking board, but all of the tiles are made of wood. All of the chits, like the little n- numerical pieces, are made of wood. And all of the roads, of course, and, and settlements and cities and all that are made of wood, but they're like more, they, they look cooler. They're more 3D-ish. Right. I, could, I can get that. A little bit more yeah. ornate. Yeah, it looks great, but I mean, it's, it's going to be, a, it looks like it's a lot sturdier a set. So I, I don't think it'll... I would bet. It'll move as much, you know what I mean? The Settlers of Catan chess game. Mm. Hmm. That sounds delicious. It does sound delicious. It's more woody, but it's like 150 bucks. <laughs> oh. So, I don't know. Maybe. Enough to take the wood out of any man. 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Okay. What was what was hardcore? All right. Well, I guess. I guess it's. I guess it's about that time. Yeah, it probably is about that time. We need to find a good. Uh, we need to find a good way to end this show when it becomes. You know. You mean to end the post show? Yeah, to end the post show. I think we should take a cue from the power source and play an amusing piece of music at the end of the show. Really? Sure. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll have to find something. Okay, you, know, you remember that song by the Plain White Tees? Um, you know, uh, Hey There, Delilah? Yeah. Uh, they played a, a, a version somebody did called uh, Hey There, Cthulhu. <laughs> hey There, Cthulhu. Um, it was like, you know, awesome. It's like, you know, uh, you know, oh, it's what you do to me. Oh, and all humanity. <laughs> nice. You'll rise up from the sea, oh, kill everyone slowly, everyone but me. <laughs> I thought you found like a funny song recently that you'd sent me a while back. I don't remember why, but... Oh, God, there's there's quite a few, Dave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sure I found a funny song and sent it to you. But, you know, that's nothing too terribly new. Right. So, yeah, anyway... All right, Gamer Nation, good night. Sleep well. And good luck or something. Something, yeah. yeah. Dark side. Something, something dark side. Complete. <laughs>